2: Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just eight ninety seven at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Ruthie's Table 4, a production of iHeartRadio and Atomize Studios.
0: Often, when a friend prepares you to meet their friend, it feels anxious. Will he like me? Will I like him? Do I need to pretend I do if I don't? When Johnny Ive told me his closest friend, Brian Chesky, was joining us in southern Italy, I felt anxious about all of the above. And then he arrived, we sat together at lunch, started talking, and didn't stop, really, for the next five days. Now, I've never stayed in an Airbnb, but then again, Brian has never been to the River Cafe. But I've experienced the impact Airbnb has had on so many lives— My children have explored the world knowing they need never stay in a hotel, and my friends in New Mexico are able to rent a house in Paris only because they host Airbnbers in theirs. Brian lives in San Francisco. I live in London. The next time he visits London, he's promised to deviate, not stay in an Airbnb, and stay with us instead. I'll cook for him, walk in Hyde Park, and if they're lucky, We'll introduce him to my friends. No anxiety. They will love him as much as I do.
3: My God, thank you for saying all that.
0: (laughs) Okay, will you read a recipe?
3: Absolutely, Ruthie. Um, This recipe is whole roasted sea bass with potatoes. So it starts with one sea bass weighing two kilograms. Take a half a bottle of white wine, eight large waxy potatoes, Peeled and quartered. By the way, what's a waxy potato?
0: A waxy potato is waxy. You know how far... There are potatoes that are floury. Oh, yeah. ...that you might have for a baked potato. What makes
3: a potato waxy, though? Is it like a certain type of potato? Yeah, it's a certain
0: type of potato.
3: Okay, so waxy potatoes, everyone. (laughs) Two garlic cloves, peeled. Two lemons... Pieces with skin. Now, these are not waxy lemons. These,
0: these are, are not waxy because these are you know just what? lemony we, lemons. I could have even said amalfi lemons, which Oh, we amalfi, had amalfi,
3: lemons amalfi lemons are really good. Cool.
0: Yeah, those particularly good.
3: And are those different types of lemons yeah, or they just have, better?
0: Yeah, Amalfi lemons have a very much thicker skin and so they're really, they're, they really protects the juice. There's less juice, but it's better because it's got that fine rind.
3: A handful of fresh oregano. So once you have this, preheat the oven to 250 degrees Celsius and then you boil the potatoes until cooked, then drain them, add your lemon and herbs, pour over olive oil, and mix well. And once you do this, you put it in a roasting tray, you stuff the fish with the lemons, and then you season, you season it.
0: Yeah, with salt and pepper. Salt and pepper. Everywhere, inside, outside. You yeah. just,
3: just the more salt and pepper, the better. No, no, that's yeah, yeah. probably not true. Well, but, kind of everywhere. Don't, don't don't be shy. Like good. put don't the salt shy. and pepper in the inside, the outside, <laughs> all the nooks and crannies. Then you place the fish on top of your potatoes. Yeah. Your waxy potatoes.
0: Yeah.
3: <laughs> right? And then on then you drizzle um, some olive oil yeah. and you roast in the oven for 20 minutes. Yeah. 20, not 18, 20. Yeah. Now you take your half a bottle of wine, you add it, you save the other half to drink. <laughs> then you roast for another 15 minutes. So I'm cooking for 20, then I put a bunch of wine Wine on it, it, and then I do another 15 minutes. Good
0: idea. Why do I do that? Because when you first do it, if you put it in the very beginning, the wine will kind of disappear.
1: Uh, So if
0: you put it in for the last 10 minutes, you'll still get the juices And what does the wine do? I mean, the
3: alcohol burns, right, but it gives it a flavor? Yeah, Yeah,
0: it just gives it another fruity, interesting, f- drier flavor that flavors. And the does, it, we don't, does it have to be nice people, wine you know, or French can just use, be like yeah, really like It has cheap. to be nice wine. The idea that you can use cheap wine for cooking is really not the right thing to do. It's really? better to use a little bit less wine. It doesn't have to be expensive, expensive wine, but you want to be able to, you know, drink the wine that you would put in cooking. I don't, so, we don't like cooking wines.
3: So we. So I think. I think really important, everyone, to use nice wine. Unless yeah. you're drinking by yourself and you're sad on a Friday... You stick to nice wine. And then when it's ready, fillet the fish yeah. and you serve with the potatoes and the juices from the pan.
0: It's a very Italian way of cooking you now. Very Italian it is, way. When is, you say you Italian find,
3: way, what does that mean? Well,
0: I think that you go for the ingredient. If you have a great sea bass, you don't have to do much to it. If you have a mediocre fish or a mediocre piece of meat or a mediocre vegetable, then you have to think of adding more things to I it, see. of cooking it longer, of doing this and doing that. But if you have a fantastic sea bass, then really what you want is a sea bass with lemon, with some herbs and a bit of wine, and you're done. You know. Oh, so wow. it's very simple. And that everybody thinks, you know, Americans, myself included, growing up here, thought Italian food was spaghetti and meatballs and very heavy food. And in fact, what we know is that, um, as you and I, spent some time together in Amalfi, and that's why we thought this would be a good recipe for you to read, because it does bring back memories, and food is about memory, isn't it?
3: I think it's really great. You're right. I mean, I think, you're right. Food is like, I mean, when I think of food, I think of a couple things. It's one of the only things in life that we consume that we need to survive, Hmm. number one. Number two, I think food is rooted in culture. Mm -hmm. And I also think you're right. Food is something you share. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a primordial thing from 50,000 years ago when people were around a campfire eating and talking. And there's something about food, connection, family, conversation that all go together.
0: So just tell me your early days of growing up in your home. Um, Who cooked? What did you remember about being in the Chesky household and
3: food? I think for me, I kind of had a foot in two different worlds of food growing up. On the one hand, you know, my parents are social workers. We were on the go. We were middle class. And we had a lot of, like, just quick-to-go things that probably, in hindsight, weren't that healthy, you know, going to, like, fast food and, like, kind of packaged foods. And then my mom would cook. My mom's Italian. And she would make very simple things, you know, pastas and... um, You know, really basic meats with, like, mashed potatoes and vegetables. You know, we try to make sure we have dinner every night together as a family. And then I have a lot of memories of, like, kind of holiday gatherings. It was really interesting. Christmas, Thanksgiving, Easter. The centerpiece of every one of those memories that I had was food. There's something primordial in us that makes sense that, you know, there's, we I think we want to have a connection to things. I think one of the challenges of modern life is that we get abstracted from the things. And one of the things we get abstracted from is our food. I mean, fast food was like an amazing innovation at the time, but I think that like a lot of innovations, many years later, you look back and say, "Well, there's probably a price that we paid." But yeah, those were those but were did kind your of grandmother.
0: You say you had a, uh, an Italian grandmother, yeah, and a Polish grandmother.
3: I had an Italian grandmother and a Polish grandmother,
0: uh, and grandfather. Did did they cook? And did they cook Not the food really. of their homes?
3: My uh, grandmother on my mom's side cooked, mm. and I think she was pretty good. My grandmother was Polish, my mm. dad's mother, and she actually lived with us and. She would help cooking, like I remember peeling the potatoes with her and stuff like that. But were they waxy? I'm still trying to
0: understand.
3: <laughs> I think they were waxy. They didn't crumple, right? Like, you know, those flaky. <laughs>
0: like a baked potato. Yeah, very, no, they didn't. Very, yeah, very yeah, they flowery. were kind of. Yeah, there's floury and there's. They very... were
3: kind of wet. Yeah. Wet yeah. is waxy? Or is yeah, wet not yeah, waxy? Wet.
0: Well, wet is more. Wet might be more towards the waxy because of the. Baked the baked potato moisture. is very dry. <laughs> but it, if you're going to boil potatoes... waxy
3: potatoes sound better than think... wet potatoes. <laughs> I want to open a restaurant, and I'll call it Wet Potato. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wet Potato. We're just down the street from River Cafe. It sounds like, like a music, music yeah. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome <laughs> to the stage. The wet... wet Potato. <laughs> I love Wet Potato. I've been following them on tour all week. Um, so, yeah, so I had my okay. waxy wet potato. Um, oh. My grandmother made it, and... Um, like, here's the story. When I was a kid, I was very small physically growing up. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, average person, size person now. I'm, like, 180-something pounds. But I, my parents were worried, like, there's maybe something developed me wrong, and we went to enter a chronology. said, no, he's just, like, his growth, his development is behind by about two years. Mm-hmm. But I was really skinny growing up. I was probably, when I entered high school, maybe That's 100 pounds, 15, right? Was, yeah. Yeah, right. 14, maybe. Yeah. And I went to a school, a, like, a, basically a sports academy to play ice hockey. Yeah. And then... I ended up breaking my leg. Mm-hmm. I had a spiral fracture on my leg. And I ended up going to, like, physical therapy. And I decide at that moment, and I'm, by the way, you'll learn as we go that I'm a bit of an extreme personality. You, you know, any entrepreneur is extreme, right. especially people like us that run these big companies. I'm 41, so mm-hmm. th- th- it's like kind of extreme. And so at this point, I'm going through physical therapy, and, you know, you have to do, like, kind of weight training, And I really start picking up weight training. And at this point, the context you need to understand is my body had controlled my life because I was small, I was skinny. I was kind of like, felt like my body was limiting my options Mm -hmm. in life. And I kind of knew at this point, I'm 16, that I'm not going to be a professional athlete. But I just, I had this thought. It was really interesting. I said, if I can control my body, I can control my life. I'm sure I didn't say it so eloquently Mm -hmm. or simply. Mm -hmm. That was a thought. So I decided when I was 16, I said, I'm going to become one of the most muscular teenagers in the country by the time I'm 19, mm. and I picked up bodybuilding. And that began a unique relationship for mm. food, mm. a relationship that was about health, but certainly more utilitarian than enjoyment. And in two and a half years, I went from 100, probably 25 pounds to maybe 195 pounds. I ended up competing in what we would now just call... Pure
0: mus- just pure muscle, that is. Yeah, That's well, 195
3: just- was like probably decent muscle. I've- and then I cut back down, and I competed in... What you know was basically the, the Teenage Mr. America, it was called NPC, Teenage Nationals, and Collegiate Nationals, and Bodybuilding. And so I w- had this very weird duality where I went to like a private school, a junior year, kind of a military bend school. Mm-hmm. So it was a private school where I had to like, dress in cadet gear and do drill with rifles and all weight training. Then I go to a public school the next year. It was all cliques, public, typical public high school. Mm-hmm. And then the following year, I go to RISD, art school. Mm-hmm. And by the time we get to art school, I am now competing at a national level in bodybuilding. And I would walk around campus with half a dozen hard-boiled eggs. And I would open the plastic, and the eggs would stink up the entire room. And I would eat these hard-boiled <laughs> eggs one at a time. and Everyone in the class was, like, staring at me. I would, pro- I, there were, I would have as many as, like, 18 egg whites a day. I would even drink the egg whites.
0: I was going to ask you about eating egg whites because yeah, that is challenging. Yeah, I would get pasteurized egg whites and Ugh. I would
3: just drink them. Yeah. It sounds kind of gross, unappetizing, but it really had a profound effect on me because I started to realize what I ate affected how I felt. Yeah. And that's when I really started appreciating food in a very deconstructed way. Mm-hmm of these building blocks rather than
0: deliciousness
3: no no they, I I mean I, there is, there was a saying growing up if it tastes good it's bad for you if it tastes bad it's good for you and that was the motto I had growing up
0: oh okay
3: probably again this is like super counter cultural to your no, it's okay. podcast okay it's
0: okay no because I, think I don't believe
3: that, that anymore but yeah. that was certainly how I grew yeah. up yeah
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Help helps is a maxim I believe in. We all carry around stress and hardship, and when we keep it inside, it starts to chip away. Therapy is a safe place, and therapy is for everyone. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, hel dot slash Ruthie. BetterHelp.com slash Ruthie.
1: There's a lot happening these days
0: There you were in Rhode Island at the Rhode Island School of Design, which is a great school. And do you remember cooking and eating with your friends?
3: I had a meal plan at RISD, Mm -hmm. but I consumed so many calories that the way the school worked is your parents had to prepay, like, I don't know, make a number up, like $5,000 a year for food, right? And every kid had a pre filled card, like a meal card. But it was a use it or lose it meal card, right? So you'd have to put $2,500 on your card each semester. And if you ate only $2,000 of food, you wouldn't get the money back. You would just you would use it or lose it. And if you ate more than that, you'd have to call up your parents to put more money in the card, which is something I didn't want to do. Mm. So I would find um, other students whose meal plans they weren't going to eat, and I would basically bum food off them. Because I would basically tap out my meal plan right. because I would get like three, four chicken breasts at a time. And, you know, and when you get a dozen eggs and three, four chicken breasts at a time, you're going to meal, your meal plan. So I'd basically kind of loiter around the cash register, befriending people. <laughs>
0: smelling of hard-boiled yeah, eggs. Yeah, ha-
3: smelling of hard-boiled <laughs> eggs. <laughs> on RISD, at a art school. Yeah, at our so school. So I'm at a art school carrying containers of hard-boiled eggs, loitering <laughs> around cash registers, trying to get people, mostly like, um, I had a whole bunch of uh, friends, these girls that were Korean. RISD was very popular in Korea, and so a lot of kids came from Korea, and they were very thin, and none of them maxed out their meal plan, and so I kind of realized this, yeah. and I became friends with them. I'm not saying I used the relationship for hard-boiled <laughs> eggs. I'm not saying I didn't either, so we'll <laughs> let the audience understand, and so I would basically loiter all around, and at one point, I ended up offering to train the kids for free if they would give me their card to get hard-boiled eggs. And I thought everyone won. I got muscles, they lost weight, and (laughs) everyone was really happy. (laughs) But this is not like a typical food thing, right? And I I had no...
0: But food is different. Food is, can be. That's what food was. So for me at that
3: time, food was a utilitarian building block for me to create the body I wanted and the life I wanted to have. Mm. And I thought about it as a fuel, as a utility. Mm. And I think By the way, here's another theory I have, because it's like, why why did I do this weird stuff growing up? I was a bit of a rebel, and I kind of did not want to fit in. Mm -hmm. So when I was in high school, I wanted to be the artist. And when I got to art school, I wanted to be the bodybuilder. And then when I got out uh, into the real world, I wanted to be like an entrepreneur. Because you
0: once told me that, well, many of our conversations over food, that you saw Airbnb as an industrial designer, rather as an entrepreneur, as a business person, Definitely. that you saw the kind of canvas. You saw 100%. Airbnb as a canvas rather than a business plan.
3: I never thought I was a business person. I remember I remember the first and I started Airbnb, somebody reminded me, I said, I'm not a business person. I'm a designer. Business people make money. Designers solve problems. I'm a designer. And my problem isn't to make money. My problem is to solve a problem for somebody. And that's what mm-hmm. designers do. The funny thing is like, artists are mostly entrepreneurs mm-hmm. without realizing it, right? Because most artists are sole proprietors, right? And you're like an artist. You have to sell your art, and you don't work for somebody because most people don't employ artists. So there's something about art school which is pretty entrepreneurial. And the RISD education is an inadvertent entrepreneurship education. And oddly enough, ri- like most entrepreneurship programs are anti-entrepreneurship. The structure is unrealistic. Entrepreneurship has no structure. Entrepreneurship requires resiliency. Entrepreneurship requires self-motivation. And, like, there are best practices. I've done, like, I went to Y Combinator. But, like, RISD, like, one of our assignments was you get a piece of cardboard, and you say you have to build a bridge, like a three-foot bridge with this piece of cardboard, and whoever's bridge can hold up the most amount of bricks across two tables wins. Or here's a piece of cardboard, you have to make a violin with no glue out of cardboard. And you're like, and you have three hours. I think that's kind of like entrepreneurship. Like, you have these challenges to solve.
0: Can I just say that you also, in your entrepreneurship and design, because going, you know, into Airbnb and the culture of Airbnb in terms of not just being a place where you sleep, but what you've done, and as I said in my introduction, is you've taken... The world of being an entrepreneur, of being a place to stay, into culture because people stay in a neighborhood. Yes. They shop for food. I always say that when you, you know, when you visit a city, the first thing you should do is go to the market I because love you know that because the market tells you about the people who live there, the food that's in season, the ingredients they have, and it, you know, a market in London will be different from an uh, market in Venice, which will be different from one in Singapore and one in. Tokyo and that tells you about the culture and I think what you've been talking about you know that you are combining entrepreneurship with culture aren't you is that what I you think so what I mean Ivy was saying go on Ivy you tell them about staying in an Airbnb and you go to the kitchen don't you you go and see what the kitchen's going to be like
1: yeah well, well, the, we were talking about the thing that I like with Airbnb is that you can use the locals guides the host guides and so I think it's like it was reinventing how you're a tourist, right? Because rather than going to the tourist spots, you can be like, okay, where are people actually eating? And how, how can I imagine myself living here? And what would my life be like? And that's why I think young people like Airbnb especially.
3: Yeah, I, I think it's exactly right. And I'll also say that just to bring, to bring a little bit of story to kind of more present day, mm. until I started Airbnb, I didn't travel very much. And I did not have a passion for traveling when I started Airbnb. And actually, here's the other thing. I did, not st- I did not start Airbnb as a traveler. I started as a host. So Airbnb has guests and hosts, travelers and people hosting those travelers. And I wasn't a traveler. I was a host. Mm-hmm. Airbnb started because my roommate and I couldn't afford to pay rent. We turned our house into a bed and breakfast. We didn't have any beds. We flated through our beds. We called it AirBedAndBreakfast.com. Okay. So I started as a host. And I didn't really have a big desire for traveling growing up. But I will, because I didn't, wasn't exposed to a lot of it. Now I love traveling. By the time, I remember once a year we would travel. My mom was a social worker, and there was an annual conference that she had to go to. And she'd, she'd get a flight in a hotel room, and my family realized this is a really good racket. We can basically freeload off her and get a free vacation every year. And so would that we, be
0: in the United States or
3: abroad? Always in the United States. So right. my first time I was on the airplane was seven.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: We went to St. Louis
0: because
3: mm-hmm. she had a conference there. Do you remember the food when you traveled? I have more memories of eating while traveling than not traveling. Mm -hmm. Funny enough, I have more memories just traveling in general. I remember somebody once a few years ago came up to me and said, Brian, I use the Airbnb because I want my life to seem longer. And I said, what does that mean? He said, the thing I noticed about my life and I realized about myself is we generally don't remember our routines. Mm -hmm. To give you an example, I probably rode the school bus, I don't know, 12 years from 5 to 17. And I can't remember 2,000 times. The memory of me being on a school bus, I had maybe six, seven, eight faint memories. But I remember every trip I took. I remember the trip to St. Louis, the trip to Dallas, the trip to Seattle, the trip to Chicago. And so what I learned and what he told me is that when you travel, you have distinct memories. And when people say time goes by quickly, I think one of the reasons they're saying that is because they're falling into routine. Some routine's really good, but you got to be careful about your routine being so much that your memories collapse, and then one day you wake up and your life has kind of passed you by. And there's so much of the world. And so I think a great way to remember the world is through travel. I hope to live in a world where the, the word travel and the idea traveled almost dissolves into our idea, and it blurs with living.
1: Right rug flooring.
3: We talked about like you know going to a supermarket and living like a local.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: There was a guy in Paris. He's no longer alive. His name is I think his name was Jim Hyman. Have you heard of this person? Mm-hmm. Jim Hyman set I believe the Guinness Book of World Record for hosting more people at dinner parties than anyone ever. He hosted a hundred thousand people in his house in Paris mm-hmm. for dinner parties, and you could ask I how. Could maybe
0: challenge that.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe you challenge that, but he apparently was up there.
0: No, I could.
3: And. He had a secret for traveling. He said the secret to good traveling is to participate in the daily life of locals. And I thought that was profound. Because what happens is most, a a lot of travel, like Conrad, like modern travel, probably one of the major pioneers of modern travel or 20th century travel was Conrad Hilton. Mm -hmm. Conrad Hilton started Hilton Hotels in 1919 in Texas. And he was very Christian. And made it a point, I think, maybe someone Hilton will be listening, correct mm. me, to have a Bible mm, right next Hebrew. to the bed. Mm. It doesn't matter was what religion him? you were really? in, in. I believe so.
1: Yeah.
3: And maybe I'm wrong, but I think I think that's – and I think he famously wanted to export an American travel experience anywhere. There was a famous, like, uh, like, episode of Mad Men that I think is representatively correct. Like, how do you say blah, blah, blah in Tokyo? Hilton, how do you say mm. t- hello in – Germany, Hilton. So it, it was really about an American travel experience. It's about mass tourism. It's about bringing your culture with you to this environment.
0: We lived in Paris for years, and I used to see a tour bus that went around the Place de where we yep. lived, and people never got off the bus. And I thought, you know, there is a sense that people really hate traveling because. It takes effort. It takes, you know, fear. It's it's fearful. You have to understand the language. All the reasons we want to travel, there's a group of people that would rather stay in a Hilton and eat American food and be in a bus and be explained to. Because they zone. they can say they've been to Paris or Rome or Florence or Venice and yet never have to experience any discomfort. or.
3: That. I, I think that's a very typical way to be introduced to travel, that you want to go to a foreign environment. But you want to be comfortable, so you're more likely to stay in a hotel, go on a double record bus, but get a you've, selfie you've in front of a... you've changed
0: that, though, with Airbnb. You're I saying, think we be have. uncomfortable, I think I think cook for yourself, exactly. be in a neighborhood, unpack your own bags. Participate
3: in the daily life of locals. Yeah. You know Joseph Campbell, the late mythologist? He wrote a book, I think in like the 1940s, called Hero of the Thousand Faces. Mm-hmm. And his book basically surmised that every character of every movie, whether it's Star Wars or Wizard of Oz or Grapes of Wrath or whomever, they're really the same character. A hero is in an ordinary world, and there's something like dissatisfied about their life or incomplete. And they get this call to adventure, to cross this threshold, to go to this new magical world, where they're at their comfort zone. They have to slay dragons. They have this ultimate challenge. And the person they are dies, maybe metaphorically or in some movies actually physically, like Snow White. And then they're born. They're reborn, a better version of themselves. And they have atonement where they go back to the world they came from. And I always thought that travel, great travel is like the hero's journey. You just want to be a little out of your comfort zone to learn something. And I think that's what we try to do, to get people a little out of their cultural comfort zone, to go to the market, to participate in daily life of locals, to understand people. Travel can bring the world together. But you're not going to understand another culture in a double-decker bus staying in a hotel with other tourists. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll give you a funny story people sometimes come to San Francisco and describe what San Franciscans are like. And I'll ask them, what are San Franciscans like? And the first thing they say is, well, they dress like this, and they're this, and they're that, and they all like bread bowl soup. And what I'm realizing is they're not describing San Franciscans. They think they're describing San Franciscans, but they went to Fishman's Wharf, Mm. which is like going to Times Square. It's like going to Times Square in New York and describing New Yorkers, except that no one in Times Square is a New Yorker except for those working in Times Square, Mm. because regular New Yorkers don't go to Times Square. And so I think if you want to understand travel, look at how people travel in, their own, in your own city and ask, mm-hmm. would you do that? And most people in New York don't go to Times Square. Mm-hmm. But Times Square was, until the pandemic, the most Instagrammed landmark in the world. Mm-hmm. Clearly very popular. But most of us who spent a lot of time in New York don't want to go to Times Square. But when I was eight years old, I did want to go to Times Square. I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's landmark travel. And then there's people-driven travel. Mm. And people-driven travel is culture. But how do you meet other people if you're in a hotel and you're a double-decker bus? That's the premise of Airbnb.
0: We have a lot more to talk about. One of the things I would like to talk about is Obama, President Obama, and Michelle, First Lady Obama, who really brought – she particularly brought a sense of food and the importance of feeding our children and the mm. investment that society makes you know, in children. And so your engagement with the Obamas has been um, massive. And at a very, very basic level, I would like to ask you what food was like in the White House. Did you eat in the White House? Because I've eaten the White House once at a state dinner, and I had a meal with President Obama at the residence of the American ambassador in London. And he seemed to be someone who did like his food and was interested in food.
3: Yeah, I... I met President Obama late in his presidency, and so um, the reason I met him was because there was a thing called Global Entrepreneurship Summit, where they had this like honorary ambassador program where you were an ambassador for entrepreneurship. But the reason I really got to know him was because he worked with the Treasury Department to lift embargo with Cuba, and then Airbnb opened in Cuba. And President Obama went to Cuba with a bunch of business leaders, myself and other people, we were actually the only company that had any business in Cuba. So I got to know Obama a little bit. And before he left office, probably July of 2016, I get a 30-minute lunch at the White House in the presidential dining room. And Do you so, what you ate? I ate basically, I think, the same thing he did. So I think it would have been fish. Uh, I think I had, like, a white fish, a... <laughs> I think I had a oh, whole yeah. roasted sea bass <laughs> with probably a waxy potato, Add, two garlic cloves. And an amalfi lemon. And amalfi lemons. Lemons. I, lemons. I feel like maybe that's what I would have had. <laughs> and no, it was, it was probably like a fish like this, yeah. but it was like steamed vegetables or a salad. I, 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 I recall that. And I remember I'm leaving the White House. So here's a cool funny story because this is the other time I ate at the White House. And um, okay, so, so we're in the Oval Office now. Because you have to walk through the Oval Office when you leave the President's Dining Room, which is kind of this, like, nondescript room. So, and you get your photo, and Pete D'Souza is the photographer. He takes his photo of me. And before I leave, he goes, hey, Brian? I go, yeah. He goes, "Uh, do you like dancing? And (laughs) it's my bad impression. I go, I'm like, what do you say to a President of the United States in the (laughs) Oval Office, and they say, do you like dancing? (laughs) So, I said, "Uh, yeah. He goes, well, I have a birthday party at the White House. It was 50th birthday party it was like in a month right so this is like july or something and his au- birthday's in like august yeah. and so he invites me like to his birthday party at the white house which is crazy and i'm like and i'd been the west wing but i hadn't been the main mm-hmm. residence which is what most people think of the white house as the residence it was a it was kind of like a very fancy buffet you know but well, not really a buffet but like a help yourself family mm-hmm. style but you would went to like these uh, kind of lines where you would Get food but it was very like nice fancy. I don't remember what I ate then, and those are my two experiences at the White House. Did you but there
0: dance? Was, Did you dance? Oh,
3: was I it? danced.
1: Did
0: you danced. Good.
3: Yeah, so it was good, and I got to know him, and obviously we've built a relationship ever since. He became a bit of a mentor to me. Once he left office, we kind of had a standing phone call for a while, yeah. you know, where he'd mentor me, and then, you know, I think the story kind of turned into. Him, going from him mentoring me to also me wanting to help him with his efforts, yeah. in particular philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And so I created a, with him a $100 million scholarship for rising juniors in high college to help them f- pay for their college education for those who want to go into public service. Mm-hmm. So the basic idea is like Obama said that when he was going into public, he graduated Harvard Law. Mm-hmm. And he had a lot of offers to become like a corporate attorney, which mm-hmm. is totally cool. We have a lot of corporate attorneys at Airbnb. Mm-hmm. But we also need people to go into public service. The problem is college is getting so expensive that some people feel like they can't afford to go into mm-hmm. public service because they have all his college debt. debt. And he said like it was a hard decision for him to be a community organizer. And he it took him a long time to pay off his bills. Mm-hmm. He didn't actually fully pay off his bills until I think the book Audacity Hope came out. Mm-hmm. So like he was like maybe my age before he was able to pay off his college loans. And I thought – we should be able to pay off people's college debt so they can afford to go into public service. But I had one other thought with him. I thought, I would shamelessly want my public service leaders, whatever the fields are, to have traveled the world and taken all the best ideas from every country and bring them back to the United States. And we bring food from all Mm -hmm. the other countries. Mm -hmm. Don't we like to shamelessly appropriate food from other cultures, bring it here? Shouldn't we appropriate the best ideas of governing and connection and other things? And so we had a travel component where it would be a ten-year travel scholarship. So we'll pay off your college loans, and we'll pay for ten years of travel, including between your junior and senior year. Ten years year, of travel. Two thousand dollars a something. year for ten years, twenty thousand yeah. dollars, and then I think ten thousand dollars for one summer, like an, a little like summer voyage between yeah. junior and senior year, where you do kind of like a work trip, and that was what we did. So we still worked together and. I'm sure food is going to be a big part of it for a lot of these students, because I think food is a way to understand culture, and culture is a way to understand our shared history and our shared connection.
0: You said about food is, you know, political, it's cultural, it's love, and it's comfort. It's comfort. So for my last question, Uh what, if food is all that, what would be... Your comfort food. What's my comfort food? Mm.
3: Not hard-boiled eggs anymore.
0: Mm, Okay. I don't think it was then, was it? No. No.
3: The whole point back then was never be comfortable.
0: Mm.
3: Um, Probably chocolate chip cookies.
0: Yeah, chocolate chip. How do you like them? Do you like them... Thick and doughy, or do you like them thin and crispy?
3: Can I tell you my recipe? Oh, yeah,
0: go Before on, we go? Because okay. the
3: thin. only. There's, you should have
0: read that recipe instead. There's of the only waxy one. Lem- does it have a waxy lemon
3: in it? It does not have a waxy lemon. <laughs> it's the only recipe I know or I think I could tell you at the top of my head. I don't and I know that's down. how little I know about cooking. I can. You put a gun in my head, I can tell you one recipe and one recipe. Can only, I write and that's it for down? Yeah, okay. and it's a proprietary recipe
0: okay.
3: that I. Got off of Google. Oh, Google. <laughs> so not that proprietary. I like to say it's one. been the family for a long time. It's in three months. It's
0: not the one on the backs of the chocolate chip. Yeah. You know the chips? No, no. It was those, always that okay, one. Okay, They're those, very the, doughy. I don't like that.
3: Those are wrong because yeah. they don't use enough brown sugar. Yeah. And they don't use enough vanilla extract. So okay. what I would do is. One. Step one. Okay, step one, flour. I would do two and three quarters or two and two thirds cups flour. So Wait, a little bit.
0: Two thirds or three quarters?
3: Let's do two and three quarters cups flour. Okay. Then I think it's eight wait,
0: wait, cups of flour. Yeah, go on. Uh, these are the dry ingredients. Yeah, the okay. dry
3: ingredients would be one teaspoon baking soda and a yeah. teaspoon of salt. Okay, then you've got your sugar, which you mix your wet. So here's the key. This is where it gets interesting. Okay. So one and a quarter cup of light brown sugar.
0: What about the dark brown?
3: Uh, no dark brown. Oh, no dark brown. Just light brown and then white okay. sugar. I use three quarters of a cup.
0: Oh, interesting. Okay.
3: Then okay. two large eggs. And then you take a stick of butter... Um, oh, sorry, oh. two sticks of butter. So you're
0: gonna blend the butter and the sugar yeah, together. Yeah, you blend aren't you? the butter
3: and sugar. You whip. What's that called when you? Yeah, you, cream. You cream the. Then you add two eggs. Two eggs. And then finally, the single most important. I'm thing gonna you
0: to must, think. I better, can I guess? Vanilla.
3: Yes, but what's the secret?
0: Uh, more vanilla.
3: Yes. So most people. <laughs> Yes, very good. So most people would say one teaspoon. I say two teaspoons.
0: Two teaspoons. So the Brian core. Chesky. Okay. So here
3: are the core innovations. The core innovations. You like how like I'm a tech founder and I use innovation what, what by is, googling it. it what recipes. is the
0: difference between an innovation and a core innovation?
3: That's, a, oh, that's, that's
0: like a waxy lemon.
3: Thing. Yeah, that's, that's a, that, the difference
0: between a waxy potato and a. Mud.
3: If you if, if we you have thirty minutes, forty-five minutes, because <laughs> no. it's, 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 that's about a lot, the difference. That's, in core that's innovation. part one. We okay, out, part one. And then I use not many chips. So you know the whole bag. with oh, I so the. I forgot
0: about the chips. I yeah. only
3: use one third of a bag of chips.
0: Oh, interesting.
3: And then I heat the oven to 375 Fahrenheit yeah. for about 20 minutes, and then I go till what's golden brown. Core innovations more vanilla extract, okay. more brown sugar, slightly more flour. That means it. that everything else is like mm. Fewer chips. Okay. Vanilla's gentle. Mm. It's a very gentle idea. You take a, anything vanilla, you add a flavor, and the flavor starts to overpower that vanilla. So people are overpowering vanilla across this country. And I have a mission <laughs> to create...
0: Is that why the Democrats did so well in the yeah, terms? Exactly,
3: yes. <laughs> People take advantage of vanilla. vanilla. More vanilla. (laughs) If you elect me, I will give you more vanilla.
0: You got my vote. Yes. Okay. well let's do it I'll be your host and we'll make chocolate chip cookies let's do it let's do it Brian thanks
3: thank you Uh
0: oh, nice thank you very very very, very nice. I've never it
3: I've done a lot of interviews in my life and never won on food
0: <laughs> yeah well there you go. Oh, and we'll I've never start. talked
3: about hard boiled eggs in an interview <laughs> exactly. like almost everything we talked about today I've never said before because right. exactly. no one ever exactly. asked me that's everyone good. asked me all the same that's questions
1: okay, right.
2: the River Cafe lookbook is now available in bookshops and online It has over 100 recipes beautifully illustrated, with photographs from the renowned photographer Matthew Donaldson. The book has 50 delicious and easy-to-prepare recipes, including a host of River Cafe classics that have been specially adapted for new cooks. The River Cafe Lookbook, recipes for cooks of all ages. Ruthie's Table 4 is a production of iHeartRadio and Atomized Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
0: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's H-E-L-P.com.
1: Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next-day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit RightRug.com.